Welcome to the Cult of the Clock Tower. I am Andrew Nathanson. Every other week, a special guest and I have an in-depth discussion about a character from the game Blood on the Clock Tower. Today's character is the Moon Child, an outsider from the Bad Moon Rising edition, whose ability reads, when you learn that you died, publicly choose one alive player. Tonight, if it was a good player, they died. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Today, we're going to be talking about the Moon Child, and joining me is Armand. Hey, Armand, how are you doing? I'm good. Thanks so, for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. So Armand is a player from my local playgroup uh, who's gotten very into the game, and that means I'm actually recording this in person with him for the first time since like some of the very early episodes of the show, which where I had other members of my, my group. Armand's joined since then, and yeah, so do you want to introduce yourself to, uh, to the audience? Anything they should know about you? <laughs> yeah, uh, hi everyone. Um, I got into Blood on the Clock Tower. I'm Armand, um, if that wasn't clear. <laughs> I got into Blood on the Clock Tower about a year ago uh, through Andrew, his co-worker, and since then I've been playing off and on, but I, I definitely like getting into the technical details of the game. Um, seeing experienced players play definitely inspires me to be a better player, so... Uh, excited about this discussion yeah and we're talking about the moon child this was kind of just one of the ones that happened to be left over in bad moon rising right yeah uh so uh what's like your favorite character in bad moon rising do you think do you have any do you have anything that particularly sticks out to you uh i think the sailor is pretty interesting because you're giving like a drunk mechanic to a good player right so there's some interesting stuff you can do with that as a storyteller i'd imagine um i haven't thought about it too much bad moon rising is generally not one of the more popular scripts among the communities I play with. So, um, but with my experience, uh, the sailor seems like it's pretty fun. It can be fun, yeah. So, Moonchild. Let's go over a brief overview of how to run, as we always do at the start of these shows. So, basically, um, the Moonchild, whenever they die, or when when their ability specifically triggers when they learn that they've died, uh, which means not actually when they die, but when they learn. So that would be either they've been executed, and you say they've been executed, and they die. Uh, that would be them learning that they've died. Or in the morning, if they died at night, uh, that would be the other time they could die, in Bad Moon Rising at least. And when they learn that they die, they have to publicly choose an alive player. And right after that, nothing immediately happens. But the next night, if the player they chose was good, that player will die. So basically, when the Moonchild dies, they take out another good player with them. Or you might learn a little something, because if the player they choose doesn't die, that means they're likely evil. This is one of those abilities that's like kind of just on the player to remember that they need to do it. It is a public ability. It is mandatory. And we'll get into in the last section more of what you can do if a moon child forgets that they need to uh, need to do that. Was there was there anything else that you think we should cover here? No, I think mechanically those are all the, the important things. There's a lot to uncover <laughs> past that, but um, those are, I think, the mecha important mechanical stuff. So let's get into the section one, playing as the moon child. My personal take on the Boon Child is that you kind of have two big questions that you're wrestling with. The first is, when you die, should you be attempting to choose a good player or an evil player? Uh, there are arguments towards both, mostly that uh, if you choose a good player and they die with you, it's going to be a more visible effect and therefore more confirming of you and also that good player. Uh, but if you choose an evil player, then obviously you're not causing an extra death, which is beneficial, but then it's not obvious that your ability actually did anything, so you could have been bluffing or whatever. So that's a big big question we'll get into. And another one is, how much should you attempt to survive uh, in the game? It's kind of like we talked about in SNV, like playing the Klutz. They're both abilities that trigger on death. 
And when Lucas was on to talk with me about the klutz, we were talking about, like, you could just get yourself killed on the first day, try to confirm a good player, and then you've got a big benefit for the rest of the game. And I feel like Moonchild can have a sort of similar thing. Like, maybe you'd prefer to survive forever, because then obviously you know you're good, you're there at the end, you don't take anyone else out with you, you keep the game going longer. But if you are going to die, sometimes it's beneficial to kind of go out on your own terms and, like, at the right point in the game. Yeah, it's... Like uh, like you said, the comparison with the klutz, the moonchild is more like a, it's a more moderate version of that yeah. in that, yeah, you, you can't cost the entire game, but the confirmation ability is a lot less because the death happening in the night is a huge difference, right? Yeah, like klutz, if the, if the klutz chooses somebody, the game just either ends or continues right, yeah. and everybody sees that outcome, whereas the moonchild, the evil team can there's ways to fake it basically. right yeah and that's that's a big distinction but you know and the benefit of it is of course uh, if you if you fail to pick uh um the right choice it's not so bad um you're not losing the game yeah <laughs> let's actually tackle the second question first yeah. which is like when when are you hoping to die or not die or like what are things that would influence your consideration of when you want to be killed versus when you should survive for the entire game if possible there's always there's you know there's a strategy where you could just die at the beginning and try your best to try and confirm something while the evil team doesn't have an opportunity to strategize how they're going to deal with the moonchild death at night because if you can get that out of the way early that's your best chance of not having the moonchild death be contaminated by any plays by the evil team so there's that in, in which case maybe it's a good idea to die early on um, but obviously, the longer you survive, uh, and if you can survive to the end, you're you know you're saving the good team of death. Yeah, it's really it's a kind of a constant trade off between like, do you want to hope the game you don't accelerate the game at all, or accelerate the game a little bit, but maybe add some information into it. Right. Yeah. And and the big thing is is like I think this is a little addressing the first question a little bit just. So I think it's important just uh, choosing. Obviously, you want to aim for an evil player most of the time, I'd imagine. The, the confirmation can be nice, but there's a lot of the information mechanics of um, Bad Moon Rising is people dying, right? So there's a lot of ways that people can die at night. So I think aiming to have somebody evil, aiming to pick somebody who's evil rather than trying to confirm somebody who's good. I mean, most of the time, I feel like that's the, the better route to take. Yeah, and especially because then if, like, the evil team wants to mess with that information, they're going to have to kill an evil player uh, if they want to make that evil player seem good if people trust you. No, yeah, if, if the person you choose doesn't die, you know for sure your ability didn't work for one right, way right. or another. Yeah. I think it's a little bit less of a strong signal to the other players uh, because, obviously, like, if you weren't the moon child, that is also what would have happened, right? <laughs> so it's, it's definitely a balance between how much you want the other players to trust that, um, to trust you. Which can be really important sometimes. I think one of the big things that goes into it is outsider counting. Mm -hmm. So obviously in Bad Moon Rising, you've got the Godfather, which can modify the outsider count up or down. Knowing whether the Godfather's in play can influence how you're thinking about whether there's a mastermind in play, whether there's a devil's advocate, for instance. Uh, so if you know, for instance, that you are the moon child and you believe another outsider, or maybe it's supposed to be a zero outsider game by default, the fact that you exist is good information for the good team just like on its own uh, regardless of what your ability gives you and therefore I think you would rather have a sign of your ability in that case so that's one of the big things that that really uh or makes me want to get killed and confirm a good player with my ability is if counting the outsiders seems like something that's really important like maybe you've had a few players survive during the day 
you're not sure if it's a pacifist or a tea lady or if it's just all been the devil's advocate messing with you, but you're supposed to be in a one, uh, one minion game. Then the moon child is like, well, no, I know it's a godfather game. Getting yourself killed and then having all these deaths at night to prove that, obviously there would even be an extra, uh, like if you were executed, there would even be an extra death from the godfather in that situation. And it's hard for the evil team to hide all those kills, and it's hard to explain them any other way. So that's the time that I think it's really important to confirm yourself as the moon child. And like, yeah, you're going to take out a good player in the process, try to find someone who can volunteer for it or something. Um, but it confirms a lot, and it gives you the outsider count. Yeah, and and you're kind of making the Godfather make their decision about their outsider kill right then and there. Assuming yeah. that you're the only one, it's like, you know, the Godfather's probably thinking to himself, okay, well, I've been given the opportunity to kill, but this is going to, you know, confirm the only outsider. And um, what else can the good team do with the information, knowing that there is necessarily one Godfather in play and having this Moonchild confirmed? And obviously, you know, you, you get the benefit of getting kill off an extra good person but the information gain um is definitely something the godfather is going to have to think about like maybe they might not want to kill at all um to discredit the moon child yeah that's definitely true if you can get them to waste that kill then then you you killing someone isn't really adding an extra death into the game right the other thing is is that the other outsiders two of them are keen on hiding even more so than the moon child if yeah, they decide to, to hide extent. which is like you know it it, it does make things a little bit more complicated with the Godfather because obviously it's hard to get a complete outsider. I mean, of course, if you know, like you said, it's a situation where there's supposed to be zero outsiders and you are the moon child, say, okay, conf- confirmed Godfather in your world. But outside of that, um, there's a quick drop off in how useful that information is when there can be a goon or a lunatic that isn't going to come out so quickly. Yeah, that's true. I think, I think at least in my experience, the lunatic figures it out pretty quickly most of the time mm-hmm. that's something i talked about recently on the lunatic episode which isn't actually released yet as of us recording this but uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um so i feel like i feel like it's overstated how hidden the lunatic is but the goon definitely can be but that yeah so if basically like i think at any outsider count obviously the lower outsider counts it's going to be a lot easier for you to get that confirmation that there's a godfather in play but there are situations certainly where you can figure it out and even if even if you aren't sure that there's a godfather in play sometimes being executed and then you're, you're in theory going to have three deaths that next night, like the one default one from the demon, although that could change depending on demon type, yeah. plus yours, plus the godfather's. And if that comes out of nowhere and it doesn't look like a Poe charge, three deaths that don't look like a Poe charge can be really nice confirmation of a godfather in one of those games where it's a situation where you're actually not sure. So I feel like you get a lot of information out of the ability when you get executed. You get a little bit less out of it when you die at night, arguably, because you lose any kind of interaction with the godfather but then of course you, you've got the trade-off where it's not going to kill as many players which is also beneficial right and then um of course there is in in deciding you know okay let's if you're going to go for a good player earlier on and you don't know what's really going on you could always try and go for someone who you think is protected so possibly yeah. a sailor but more safely like a tea lady or somebody who's been in keeps um that's always a good strategy yeah, it, that's something I think that um, is easy to forget about. Like, you can use it to just hunt for evil players. Mm-hmm. But if you just want to mitigate the damage, especially I would say that if this happens late in the game, I'm especially going to be looking for things like that, where it's like this person is either a protected good player or they're lying, in which case they're evil. Either way, you're not going to cause a death. Um, and so, yeah, I think just absolutely just mitigating the damage, especially late in the game. Uh, can be really important. Like if you're not sure how many days you have left and you don't want to waste an extra day by 
getting another player killed. Um, then, yeah, coordinating with an innkeeper or something to uh, use your kill on someone they're protecting, that's going to save them. Yeah, it's it's not the most exciting way to try and, you know, leverage your um, handicap ability in like a positive way. But it's definitely, you know, as an outsider, you're trying to mainly mitigate the harm you're bringing into the game, which is which is pretty, pretty interesting mechanic. I was reading about um, some of the the creators of the game, what their intention was with the outsiders. And they're kind of like playing a little bit of their own game in some sense where they're, you know, how can I harm my team? the least amount possible yeah. <laughs> it's like almost some some or most of the time it's like a little game on its own obviously you're coordinating coordinating with a good team but it's always it's always how do i um deal with this handicap that i've been given so what about the case where like one way to completely mitigate the handicap is just to survive the whole game yeah uh, <laughs> of course and I, I think this is a really interesting thing to try to figure out the trade-off on because in order for the good team to win, you have to execute the demon, right? And obviously, not executing you, going for the demon instead is better <laughs> um, if you actually have a chance at hitting the demon. Uh, but the other thing is, in order for evil to win, they need to kill down to just two players alive. If you're that, like, you're, if you're if you're in the game at three alive, that's also good because then if they kill you, then you know they, they that doesn't matter. Your ability doesn't matter. Yeah. But basically what I'm getting at is in order to actually make it so that your ability ne never triggers, you need to somehow end up in like those last three players alive a lot of the time, or the last handful in Batman Rising. And depending on the game size, that might not be easy. Right. Because just the majority of players will die at some point. It doesn't even necessarily matter what you do that much. It's just, you know, statistically, yeah. most of the town is going to die, so you're going to most likely get caught in the crossfire at some point. So it's almost a little bit of a fool's errand to try to make it never happen, but... You know, at the same time, there are definitely circumstances where you could. I think, for instance, like, if you're in a relatively low player count game, if you're playing, like, an eight-player game, then it's a pretty reasonable thing to try to survive until then. Part of the difficulty, though, is that your ability, since your ability requires you to do something public, that kind of messes up with the ability to, like, do a role swap with someone. Something I was thinking about is, like, in a game, like, let's say I was... I wanted to, as the moon child, like pretend to be the chambermaid and have the chamber chambermaid pretend to be me. Wait, no, I, I don't even know if that is incentivizing them to get killed at night. But let's say that I've worked out something where me and someone else think it's beneficial to swap each other's uh, claims mm -hmm. with the intent of me drawing fire for them. I don't know if this actually makes that much sense because maybe the moon child is someone that the demon would want to kill anyway. Uh, <laughs> but there are situations where it wouldn't be. And so like, if you were trying to do this, when you do die... You have to drop the bluff. You have to claim Moonchild. You have to make your pick. Yeah. And that'll tip off the evil team that like, oh, you swapped with the other person claiming Moonchild. So it's like, it's kind of hard to get around that. Um, I almost feel like it, it incentivizes you certainly to come out as Moonchild a little bit earlier um, and to try to maybe not set up something that's that's going to require you to keep lying after death because you kind of can't. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I never thought about that before, but definitely the... I mean, you could, obviously the other person could just win a, you know, both of you could claim, let's say both of you die, you both just claim yeah. claim something publicly. But generally speaking, it's going to be a lot harder to, because a, a lot of times, even after you die, you, you want to continue the role swaps. So yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I, I also wanted to add on what you said about uh, surviving to the end. 
Um, one thing that I, I don't think is considered enough is like people say, oh, I have a powerful role. I want to survive. Uh, outsiders definitely fall into that category because if the if the downside of them dying is so great, then they're arguably a powerful role. You know, like a saint could simply just, it's the saint could, for example, they could plausibly just be like, I'm a, I have a powerful ability, you know, which is keeping the team alive. Negating an extremely bad negative effect is a powerful ability in itself. You know, everyone's thinking to themselves. Um, you know, I'm the innkeeper uh, to themselves, of course, yeah. not publicly. I, I want to try and stay alive or whatever. I'm a powerful role, but um, arguably to some extent, maybe the moon child a little bit. I feel know? like the moon child of the Bad Moon Rising outsiders is the one that fits that the most. Like, that's kind of how all the SNV outsiders are. Um, but in Bad Moon Rising, there's like three of them who really wouldn't mind dying that much, I feel. Uh, no, I agree. Yeah. So, yeah, the moon child definitely does fit in there, though, because... Yeah, especially if it's later in the game, it's going to be a big downside for you to get killed. Or even early on, you know, removing Townsfolk early is gonna, yeah. isn't isn't necessarily a good thing. I guess one thing you could do is just claim to be an outsider. If the evil team doesn't know which outsider, they aren't going to know whether they should be prioritizing killing you or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, the, they probably don't ever want to kill a tinker because a tinker could just die on, on their own at some point. And the longer a tinker survives, kind of the more suspicious it is. So I think I think it's pretty viable in BMR specifically to just say like yeah I'm an outsider I don't want to say which because it's got a nice mix of outsiders where some of them want to or one of them doesn't want to die and the others don't really mind uh you don't really get that dynamic I don't think in Trouble Brewing or SNV because Trouble Brewing it's like all of the outsiders are kind of like yeah I don't really care in SNV they all want to survive uh but BMR you've got this mix so i think it's the it's the it's the script where you can just do the ambiguous outsider claim mm-hmm. just still helping the town helping you figure out the outsider count and all that uh but without giving the evil team information to act upon yeah that's that's very true worth worth keeping in mind though that uh and this is something i put in the notes later that the evil team has a lot of information about about the outsiders this is kind of the uh i, I put this in the bluffing section but it's also worth keeping in mind as the moonchild themselves uh, BMR is the script where the evil team just has a lot of outsider info. Uh, the demon will know whether or not there's a lunatic in play. And the godfather knows all of the outsiders that are in play. They don't know who any of these people are. Well, they would know who the lunatic is. But uh, it's possible that if you're making this claim and you're, say, if you're the only outsider, um, or if there's like a lunatic and you, then the evil team's going to be able to suss out pretty quickly uh, which, which outsider you are. So it's, it has. I would say it has benefit, and like, there are certainly games where it'll be more beneficial than others to do the kind of ambiguous claim. But there will also be games where it's just there's a Godfather, and they just know what you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you make good points there. So most of the time, it sounds like it's it's very beneficial to just come out as an out. Obviously, if you're the lunatic, you don't know it, but it's it's beneficial to come out if you're an outsider as as just ambiguously. I am an outsider. Um, the evil team can probably already figure that out on its own, and it helps the good team count for outsiders and figure out other things as well. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I wonder um, if the sailor chose the moonchild, how many times a storyteller would make um, yeah. <laughs> the moonchild drunk. That's an interesting thing as well. Like, maybe if you've been chosen by a sailor or an innkeeper, maybe that's a better time to uh, get executed. You know, if you're, if you're trying to pick the right time, mm-hmm. uh, there's a chance you could be drunk. So... Although yeah. actually, I would have to look it up. I don't even remember if the uh, does the ability happen when if you're drunk at night when the kill happens or when you get executed. Uh, I don't actually remember off the top of my head. I want to say you it's learn actually that you died. 
Yeah, they make the choice. Let me let me read the ability. <laughs> so I think that means that um, if the innkeeper the does the drunk the drunk until dusk. So I don't. Think yeah. So actually, if you were chosen by the innkeeper or a sailor the night before, and then you get executed during the day, by the time the kill happens, the drunkenness will have worn off. And since the ability looks backward to the previous day, it's actually activating the next night. So you'd have to be made drunk that night. Maybe at that point you could have, you know, an innkeeper target you again. Uh, but at that point, why don't they just target the person you chose if they want to stop the kill, right? <laughs> Do we want to go through some of these uh, different character interactions with the Moonchild? Because there's a lot, a lot of characters you can choose from, obviously, on the script. Um, you put you made like a list in our notes here of all the different ones you, you could choose or like all the different interactions. I highlighted a few that I think are particularly interesting to talk about. So why don't we go over those? The first is the chambermaid. I want to get your thoughts on like how valuable is it to choose the chambermaid as your target for the player you might kill? Um, because chambermaid is generally considered one of the strongest information roles in the whole game even, uh, let alone Bad Moon Rising. But... Does that make it more likely that you should pick them or less? Because, like, they're more likely to have information that you would like to confirm, right? <laughs> but they're also perhaps someone you'd rather keep alive. It's tough, right? Because how often will the evil team bluff as a really strong character? I mean, just the magic that I've played, a lot of times the uh, evil team doesn't like bluffing as really strong characters. Um, but at the same time, and, and on top of that, it's your information isn't totally confirmed which is another worrying thing i if i was the moonshot i think i'd stay away from the chambermaid and just kind of try and make them see if they can have consistent information with the rest of the game and try and decide it that way yeah i think i think that makes a lot of sense i think it also depends for me though um like what the chambermaid's actions have been so far so like if i'm the moonchild and somebody has come out privately to me as the chambermaid then I probably wouldn't want to pick them because nobody knows who they are other than me. Whereas if it's later in the game and they've come out as the chambermaid, everyone knows they're the chambermaid, or at least claiming that, then I think I'm more likely to choose them because, well, for one thing, a chambermaid surviving a few days is already a little bit suspicious. And secondly, if I can confirm that I can trust them, it's removing that suspicious person as a candidate for execution. Uh, they are a person we might have executed anyway, and it's confirming their info. Um, and if they are evil, you suddenly know that, and now you know to discount all of their info. So I really like the idea of a late late game choosing a chambermaid who's outed, because yeah, you will end up with those those chambermaids who are kind of in limbo, where either they're totally good, and the evil team's just like their information's too good, they're trying to frame them now, yeah. or they are, are just evil because they're surviving that long. Yeah, now that I think about it, the the chambermaid can be so polarizing, can polarize the game so much near the end that it becomes almost a necessity to try and confirm it one way or another. And uh, even even if they're trying, if the evil team is trying to play around it, assuming the chambermaid is bluffing and is actually evil, it, it can be a steep cost to kill off their own, one of their own. Yeah, so, they'd have to be real confident that everyone's going to be able to use that information to implicate the wrong person at that right, point. Right, right. So, no, it makes sense because of how polarizing that... Cause, you know, either you believe the the chambermaid or you don't. And so kind of, you know, while it's not fully confirming, while it's not fully confirming the chambermaid as good, the fact that it pressures the evil team to possibly kill one of their own, if they are good, is, a, is a, actually a big benefit. I think in general, the more suspicious you are of someone, 
who you would like it's, it's almost like you would really like this person to be good <laughs> you yeah. know it's like it would be great for us if they were good uh and therefore i'm going to choose them because then i'll at least get a hint you know um and it's going to be costly to interfere with that right and yeah that's kind of interesting because you're there's like three ways you're kind of three considerations you're making with the moon child either you can mitigate damage which is okay locate good pick good or and pick evil oh sorry uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> sorry uh pick evil um or uh try and pick good and see if you can confirm information um you're kind of giving a trade-off there where you're losing a good player but try and confirm information yeah, along absolutely. the way and i think the thing we've touched on a couple times now I'm, I was kind of underrating until this point the fact that you're kind of pressuring the evil team to make a decision about what they want to do with uh, a, a Moonchild pick that's on an evil player. Yeah, so that's that's Chambermaid, and I feel like that kind of goes for a couple other characters as well. That's um, just like strong characters yeah, in any, general. Yeah, with strong info who you would like to trust. Like That kind of applies to Grandmother, who's one of the only other ones with uh, really strong info. Grandmother is even a little bit even easier choice because they aren't going to get any further information and they might already be dying when their grandchild dies anyway. So it's like mm -hmm. they're almost dead already. <laughs> um, yeah, that one's especially powerful because um, you, we want to confirm that information. Them dying doesn't really change the game state and they're probably going to die anyways. I'm seeing a theme here where in Bad Moon Rising, the most powerful information roles are the ones that give direct information and not information you're trying to um kind of inductively figure out from yeah, the death sun night. It's like you have those two touchstones. You've got the chambermaid and the grandmother who just give the player direct direct information. Everyone else, you have to infer it from what happens, which can be very powerful. And usually that comes with some kind of like death mitigation. So it's like you it gives you a longer time to figure it out when those things work. But <laughs> it's not it's not clear information by any means. I think the other like single most clear piece of information in uh in the game like the most clear information gatherer is the gambler in bad moon rising because they just choose a player they guess their character and they kind of learn if they got it right or not based on whether or not they die that one though i think is a pretty bad moon child choice um because they get their information from dying and so if you're killing them you're messing with that information that you're trying to preserve yeah 100 <laughs> percent. i was just looking at the very quick ones we can go through like courtier is not a really good choice for the moon child um yeah. for the most part although interestingly the courtier choosing the moon child might be slightly slightly interesting <laughs> that's that's an expensive use it's very expensive <laughs> um but you know it's, it's always an option i suppose <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah you know you, you, i think you're right probably probably wouldn't be my first choice uh not but it's like relatively low risk if you believe the moon child high i mean not high reward really <laughs> very low reward you save one death but i don't know maybe you want to do that <laughs> yeah probably not because you know not. if you <laughs> there's obviously the chance that the moon child doesn't even exist you know yeah. <laughs> um and then you could just be you're throwing that <laughs> away yeah when i had evan on for the tinker episode we were talking about the same thing it's like you could get the courtier to choose the tinker to make sure they don't die but like if you were an evil player bluffing tinker and you got that to ha that would feel so good <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, and those the Exorcist, where I just wrote down no interaction with the Moonchild, unless I could be wrong. I said that for Chambermaid, but you you brought up some interesting I, points about how they Exorcist would play. is similar to the Chambermaid, but mm -hmm. I, like the same, but less so because the Exorcist has less certain info. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. So then we have the Fool can survive the Moonchild choice 
as one of their deaths. Um, that's obviously going to be very controversial <laughs> when it happens because, you know, the Moonchild's going to pick someone, they're not going to die, and if the Fool hasn't, you know, only then claims Fool, that's going to be very suspicious, um, assuming the evil team hasn't been able to coordinate around that. Yeah, I think that, like, it's it's a weird one because it's, it's almost trading information for survival because, yeah, they're going to survive maybe. If they die, that that's helpful and that's helping you learn about them. Um, the fact that their ability's already been used. But in general, I'm not the biggest fan of just like giving up a fool uh fool life. Yeah. <laughs> I think the other thing is the the fact that fool and DA go hand in hand. And if you're gonna pick an evil player, right, um I feel like you kinda want it to be worth something beyond like you pick, let's say you pick a fool in your head, you're thinking to yourself, okay, you've either um, picked an evil player or I, or I, the fool just ate, you know, yeah. just ate something or ate the um, moon child death. And I, I feel like that's just not too helpful because either it's so ambiguous, right? <laughs> it's so ambiguous. And if there is a fool, you'd want them to save their lives um, when they can. So you're better off going for a different evil player that everything doesn't get muddled for the fact that they're claiming fool. Yeah, I think that makes more Yeah, I definitely think that makes sense because we were already talking about how the ability is pretty muddy. The evil team has ways to mess with it. They can kill the player. They can be evil. They can, like, kill one viewer player in the night even to make it look like the evil, like an evil... Like, that's something we haven't talked about is that if you kill somebody, like, you're killing a good player, the evil team can still make it look like um, that player was evil by them also targeting that same good player. So then you'll count the deaths and you'll be like, okay, well, there was only one death tonight, for instance. And you'll be like, that was just the demon kill. That wasn't the moon child kill. And that's another way of muddying your info. And so you, you already have all these ways of muddying the info. Uh, the moon child, the moon child uh, they pick publicly who dies. Right. So the, yeah, so the evil team knows exactly how to play around it if they mm-hmm. want to. Yeah. So, yeah, th- so I feel like I, I, I think I'm on the same page with you where fool, it's just adding another layer of uncertainty on top of that that I don't really want to mess with. Yeah, usually you want to, if you're going to pick somebody where you're trying to decide, where you're trying to confirm, right? It's not like you're not picking safely. You're picking to get information. I mean, usually I'd imagine you want to pick safely because you either, because you know a good player doesn't die and you kind of confirm evil. So I, I'd imagine almost always you're hunting for evil players. Um, because even when you're trying to confirm someone who's good, your mindset is they could possibly be evil. Right. So you're yeah. picking them. <laughs> the only time you'd really have a um, trying to deci- decide between those two is if you have a confirmed, like a relatively confirmed evil player and a, a player who's a little bit more ambiguous than yeah, you're kind of true. weighing. Is it better to pick the confirmed evil player and be safe? Or could we possibly risk somebody good dying? but the benefit of confirming the information. And I think it's a little bit interesting because if you have a confirmed evil player and you're having that kind of thought, that confirmed evil player is probably not the demon. And yeah. as the game kind of converges to the end, you're kind of just hunting for demons. Like in my experience, one of the interesting things I picked up playing the game uh, early on was like, I'd be like, hey, we should kill this person. They're obviously a minion. And they're like, well, we have limited kills. We should be hunting for demons. And so at that point, it's like, well, information helps solve who the demon is, um, confirming um, if you can, 
you know, if you can give up a good player's death, you know, if you're on an even number, that's a good opportunity to do it. Yeah. It depends on the demon, of course, because <laughs> they could, you know, kill more than one a night. Yeah, it, this is the sort of thing where, like, if we were talking about a different script, if this were on a different script where the demon just has, like, a normal fixed kill rate and there weren't all these other deaths, like, one of the first pieces of advice I'd give would be, like, uh, is there an even number of players or not? Because that, that can really influence your decision based on... Because, like, if there's an even number of players, you taking out one extra player doesn't change the number of executions if you're assuming one death per night bad moon rising that <laughs> goes out the window uh but like sometimes you can sometimes you can figure that out like um if it feels like you're up against a zombie you're almost always going to know that because their kill rate's so low um so you killing an extra person in the night will also be somewhat confirmable that it's from you in a zombie game because you were killed during the day so the zombie shouldn't wake that night if, uh, if this was on an execution if the zombie kills you uh, it's a little bit more ambiguous. So that's maybe a case where the zombie really wants to kill you at night because it's not confirming as much. But like, if you get executed during the day and then there's a night death and it's the person you chose, the evil team only has so many ways they can simulate that, uh, yeah. right? Like, you have to have an assassin or something. And that's such a heavy expense. Like It is. Um, especially in a uh, zombie game where your kills just come out so slowly. Yeah, and I think that uh, often... Yeah, it's just it often seems like there's better things for like the assassin to be doing in a in a zombie game, like <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so definitely like during a zombie game, getting executed, I feel like isn't that bad because the thing is in a, in in a zombie game, you kind of you have twice as many executions, but more than twice as many players that you need to execute, right? Yeah. Because every you need to double tap everybody, and you're not going to have time to double tap everybody. Maybe even triple tap if you're afraid of a mastermind. Yeah. So it's like. You don't have time for all of that already. So normally wasting an execution in a zombie game, I feel like is actually pretty bad because uh, executions are somewhat precious. Um, but if you're the moon child getting executed and then you cause a death at night, that's evidence that you are good because the zombie couldn't simulate that kill. It would have to be. An e so like it narrows the worlds a lot. So I think a lot of the time you're going to get away with it and not get double tapped because, yeah, because the death in the night confirms you. Uh, continuing down the line of interactions between the players, uh, gossip. I don't have anything on that unless you had any thoughts. Uh, maybe be a little bit careful with uh, like muddying whether it was a gossip kill mm -hmm. or your kill. That's the situation where the storyteller might choose to use a gossip kill to kill an evil player. It's pretty rare that they want to do that. But if you chose an evil player and the storyteller wants to help the evil team by making that person look good, that can be a little bit dangerous. So you might want to stray away from the things we were talking about earlier, like choosing the chambermaid or someone with like really powerful info. Right. If the gossip has also made a statement today that you think might be true. Um, because, yeah, because uh, the storyteller might well see that as like, oh, this evil player has been bluffing powerful information that the town wants to see if they can believe or not. I'm going to use the gossip kill on that. And that'll make, that'll do two things. One, it'll make the gossip kill. Like you don't know whether that statement was true or false. So you lose that info and you lose the info on whether or not your choice was true or false yeah. and you lose whether or not you can trust that person so it's like you have to be a little bit careful with it i don't think it's worth deviating too much from your strategy because the storyteller is not going to kill an evil player with the gossip that often but like it is something to keep in mind that there's a little bit of a risk if there's a gossip actively making statements yeah that's the kind of circumstance i kind of put into um the category of stars align and one of the team's gets really really like screwed over where it's not really worth 
in my opinion, it's not really worth like considering too much, like you said, because it's it's a very specific circumstance and obviously requires some storyteller decision making on 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 top of that. But um, the way I usually play in Blood of the Clock there is if there's like a um, a stars aligned kind of situation, um, you just kind of assume that's not that's not the yeah, case it's, it's because like, it's, it's like, like you've lost already. <laughs> it's so. like, if, are we really going to assume that exactly all of these things are true? <laughs> and it's like literally anything but that and this doesn't make sense and it's like it takes a lot definitely yeah it it should take a lot to convince you that that world is true uh (laughs) that's just like hedging your bets like there's situations where you know you're you're wrong um in uh, ignoring those cases but like it's to some extent it's a statistical game or probabilistic you're trying to decide what are the most likely worlds and you know you can't you know you don't have the benefit of retrospect to be like oh we should have picked the one in one million. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I always like something I've been thinking about recently. I was, I started told a game for um, the members of the Game Brain podcast, and it was a kind of a weird game. Um, they were all basically new. Some of them have played like once or twice before. But Sophie, a uh, friend of the podcast <laughs> and my girlfriend, uh, <laughs> guest on the Fortune Teller episode, uh, she's played a ton, and she was in that game because she was with me. Um, and she drew the poisoner. Now, you've played with Sophie. She's very good as a minion. <laughs> like, she's an exceptionally good minion. I've actually said this to her. Like, my first two... I'm oh, sorry, not to interrupt. My first, like, two or three games as the demon, she's a stellar... I told her, like, you're a great minion. Yeah. <laughs> I think, like... Yeah, she's an exceptionally strong minion player. And as a result, she was the poisoner. And she, like, destroyed all of the good info in the game and just completely controlled the narrative. And I feel like that was kind of bad for me, like, my for my goals for that that evening. Like, since they're, they're like, they have, like, a board game review podcast, mm-hmm. I was like, I should, like, you know, run a good game for them. And they kind of came away from it where they were like, oh, we had no info that game. <laughs> like, yeah. all of our information was wrong. And it's like, yeah, that was true. But it's like, that only happened because the good team was inexperienced and played really badly. Mm-hmm. And the evil team had one person who was like, not only extremely experienced, but like also was playing the type of character that she's best at. So it was like, yeah, that's why, that's why you had no info because like you just came out as the undertaker on the first day. Of course you're going to get poisoned and like all that stuff. So it was like, but it was hard to communicate that to them. <laughs> just, who had just experienced this brutal loss where like they had a poisoned Raven keeper and a poisoned undertaker and a poisoned everything. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's more like experienced players dominating over inexperienced. Yeah, but the, the reason stars. I bring it up is that it's a game of like, the game is all about choosing the things that you have in your control. So the players you choose at night with choosing abilities and executions. The good team's whole goal should be to maximize those things to eliminate as many worlds as possible. Right. And and also the, also just like your activity throughout the game. So I, I like to think of it now and this is something that I've just come to recently, is that Blood on the Clock Tower is as much a strategy game as it is, like, a social deduction game. Because it's not just about, like, you get information and then you try to process it. It's you get a little bit of information, then you act on it. Then you get a little bit of information. It's a... Wait, we were just talking about I this was, earlier. It's a reinforcement learning yeah, problem. Yeah. I was about to I was about to mention as you started going down this conversation, like, it's kind of like... Monte Carlo research. Yeah. You're pruning. You're trying to prune off worlds. Yeah, it really is. That you're that are less likely. And I mean, that's not something you would really expect from like a social game, right? Like that's mm-hmm. something you expect to see in like Go or chess or whatever. But like that is also what you're doing in Blood on the Clock Tower. And so 
That's well, part of why I love the game so much is like you're doing that so much more than in other games. Like you don't you don't really do that in Avalon. You do that a little bit, you know, but like Well, there's rigid yeah. mechanics that you can take advantage of, yeah. right? Cuz like in in my like it, I think it's pretty obvious that in Blood in the Clock Tower certainty is like premium, right? And you know, like w- that's why the virgin is so powerful, just mm-hmm. being able to confirm someone. So the idea that um the more confirmed information can be the, the better it is and the reason why it's so valuable is because you're closing off worlds and converging into the worlds where the possible worlds where the demon is this person or that person because you only need to bring it down to one person at the end of the day and again just touching on what i said before that's why information can be sometimes more important than just hunting for any evil player because killing the demon ends the game killing minions doesn't necessarily end the game like yeah. there's there's been games i've played where um, the evil team, or I've seen or played where the evil team is stomping, but the information out there converges it to one specific demon, and the evil team wasn't really, in terms of the information game, the way the good teams are able to close worlds. Yeah, you only need like one good player left alive to make the right nomination at the end. Right, and if the information supports it, you have the nomination and you have the votes. Yeah, and the, and the worlds kind of naturally converge at the end as well, because like once you're down to three players, you have exactly three demon candidates you need to consider. Right, right. Uh, barring Zomble, uh, <laughs> in which case you have 15. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, so circling back to the Moonchild. So, oh, yeah, that's what we were talking about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so that's all, like, background about why information is important in the game and, and how information is used to win the game. We're trying to close off worlds. The Moonchild does this um, either by, to some extent, right? It's not as confirmable as a Klutz. Again, that's, you know, the trade-off of you not being able to lose the game for the <laughs> for the good team, but you know, you, you try and close the world, right? You say, you figure out whether this person is for sure, or more likely to be good. And then, um, you know, if, if we had a machine running at you, just try and compute the probability of, of this person being good or evil, given the events of things occurring. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And obviously the other thing is there's no real, like, it's not actually driven by probabilities, right? It's driven by a bunch of human decisions that approximate a, a probability yeah, you know like yeah. there's nothing random in the game but it can be helpful to think of it in that way because you don't know what's going on inside of everyone's head you don't know what the storyteller is thinking so it's like right, yeah. yeah at some point you have to just as like a heuristic you have to say okay i'm going to treat this as a random event mm-hmm. and i think this world is more likely uh <laughs> yeah 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 of course it's not like the decisions made aren't necessarily random, but you can, that's the part of social deduction. How likely or how probable is a certain player to make these kinds of choices knowing yeah. how they've played in the past? And especially like you can observe, one thing I found is really helpful is like looking at somebody and saying like, they're claiming this thing. Is it realistic for that thing to be playing like this? Right. Like an example is uh, a game. I don't remember if you were in this one, but we had a professor or a professor claim turned out to be the demon but <laughs> they claimed to be a professor and we were like okay why haven't you used your ability on one of these dead players and they're like i just don't know who to pick and it was like maybe that's true but if you were the real professor the entire game you're thinking about who to pick so it's like the fact that you don't have an opinion on who to pick is very suspicious because a real professor would likely have an opinion they'd have been thinking about it the whole game whereas you've been thinking about who to kill at night so you haven't had time to come up with that bluff so like that's also the sort of thing that like yeah, it's it's not just how people act; it's how people act with what they're claiming to be, and you want to you can try you can try to evaluate that. Yeah, and, and not to uh, 
continue the tangent, but this is one of the reasons why Savant is one of the most damning cho- uh, bluffs to give a team. It's so hard. <laughs> yeah. I, lo- I love bluffing Savant. <laughs> You're a masochist. I-, I love bluffing Savant and Amnesiac because, like, you know, I, I, part of it is, like, if you storytell with those characters a lot, you know what kind of mm, dumb stuff you can come That's up true, with. yeah. And so it's like, I'll walk over to the storyteller and I'll be like, what would I tell myself right here? <laughs> yeah, I, I think once you can get those bluffs down, you've really opened up, like... I think it can it can be pretty dangerous, right? Because all of a sudden you're somebody who can properly bluff Savant, and that can be scary. Definitely. Um, but anyways, um, moving on. Um, back to the moon child. I love it. Um, that we've been next we're neglecting this poor moon child. Uh, so uh, innkeeper. Um, yeah, this is something we said that we discussed earlier. Um, yeah, the innkeeper can save the person the moon child chose. I think. Uh, I think no, no, no. Works. We said that we couldn't. Um, can't die at night. So. Or wait, I gotta look up the night order. Actually, uh, the choice happens during the day. The, the choice happens during the day, exactly. But so, the death happens at the moon child's position in the night order. So I think it is possible for the innkeeper to protect the moon child. Oh, because the death happens at night. Yeah. How, is there is there something in the almanac that describes like mechanically when when is something marked for death and is it it's by the moon child right? Yeah, the so moon child owns that. I don't know if this is in the almanac somewhere, but I have gotten it confirmed by the higher ups <laughs> that the moon child, the higher council, the moon child death happens at its position in the night order. Um, mm-hmm. Like there are other things, like the tinker is on the on the night order, but they can their ability is they can die at any time, so that's Got just it. there as a reminder. The moon child's thing is not there as a reminder; that is the time that they die. Um, same as for gossip. Yeah, the innkeeper protects before the moon child death happens. So they can absolutely protect the target of the moon child. Right, um, yeah. They could also protect the moon child themselves, making them drunk, in which case that would also prevent the death. So the, the innkeeper has a couple ways to mitigate it. Yeah, yeah, that's... that's, Yeah, I missed that. It's some of the some of the mechanics of when what ability registers and everything um, can be a little bit um, convoluted. I mean, the other thing but... is, like, the night order isn't super fixed. <laughs> um, right. Like, I've talked to Steve about it, and his opinion is more or less like it guidelines just, just, yeah it's it's a guideline <laughs> um technically by the rules of the game like the rules as written you have to follow it exactly except for the ones that are explicitly called out as just being there as reminders mm-hmm. but yeah you can you can basically mess with it <laughs> right but obviously as a storyteller you want a consistent way of playing so that you know your players can reliably um use information happening yeah across different games i think that's especially important in bmr yeah yeah but no that's yeah then in that case with the innkeeper um that could be a solid choice like you're you're drunking somebody and you're also protecting someone um obviously with choices like that the storyteller could be inclined to not make it happen as you like because you know the sailor's drunking ability is supposed to be sailor has a strong ability the drunking should be negative for the good team most of the time so you from from what I've heard, obviously, you know, storytellers can run it as they want, but um, there's a good chance that if a sailor picks an outsider trying to negate their ability, that's kind of like, it, it might be too strong, yeah, and they might not do it. For me, and, it's like 50-50. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess it just depends on how the game is going already and how you want to reward, because in some cases, it's a smart play, and sometimes you want to reward that for the good team as well. And it, with the sailor, it's the same thing with the innkeeper here. Innkeeper's usually going to make the most powerful target drunk. But, like, I mean, if they're choosing the moon child who is dead, they are voluntarily giving up part of their ability, right? Mm, that's true. So, like, 
as a storyteller, I would always be inclined to reward that by making the Moonchild drunk if that's clearly what they're trying yeah. to do. Because, like, yeah, they're giving up half their ability in order to do this. So, like, sure, I'll reward that. <laughs> yeah, I skipped over that. I totally forgot that they'd be choosing a dead player. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, that that's totally that's totally fair. That may, It makes sense to reward that kind of play. All right, moving on, Minstrel. Um, yeah, Minstrel... Definitely. doesn't interact strongly i don't think <laughs> yeah not not too great um yeah yeah don't if, think i don't think there's too if much you want to there. <laughs> yeah not, not much to say pacifist um if, yeah if the moon child is executed but doesn't die due to pacifist or some other reason it's worth noting that their ability doesn't trigger mm-hmm. it's only when you actually die so yeah yeah i don't want to say any more there because it's more that's more about the pacifist itself yeah. but um Professor, don't yeah, you don't want to bring the Moonchild back. Right, right, yeah, I like that note. Just, just don't, don't try. They're not a townsfolk. <laughs> we'll be sad. Leave them dead. It, it's like when people are playing Trouble Brewing for the first time, and they're like, "Oh, we want to know if the outsider count is correct. Let's have an outsider nominate the Virgin to, for info." Uh, same thing with Professor. Uh, be very careful. Moonchild is not a townsfolk. <laughs> yeah. Um, we've already talked at length about Sailor, um, Tea Lady. The there's an interesting thing where you can you could just choose the tea lady to kill them and <laughs> try to like try to confirm them as not the devil's advocate or something. You could also try to choose one of their neighbors to not have that person die. It's another way of just avoiding death. I don't know that we need to talk about it that much more. Um, but it is possible that if you target one of their neighbors and that person dies, that's a strong sign that the tea lady is evil or the other neighbor is evil. Yeah, I think I like what you put in the notes there, accelerating the use of her ability. Because what when tea ladies are how they're usually played is like, okay, we got to kill one of the neighbors as an execution. And then we have to figure out um, is the tea lady themselves evil or is their other neighbor evil or is their other trickery afoot somehow? You know what I like is if you're the tea lady neighbor as the moon child. I think it's pretty cool to get yourself executed to test the tea lady because either you survive and then you you have a pretty good sign on trusting the tea lady or you die and now you have a second chance at night to learn something about the tea lady. Um, Like you could choose their other neighbor and if that other neighbor dies, then you know the tea lady was probably lying. If they don't die, that doesn't tell you that much actually now that I think about it because they could just be evil or it could just be the tea lady working now. Although, actually, no, no, no. If they don't die, if they don't die, it's because they're evil, right? Yeah, exactly. Because they would either die to your own ability or the fact that you died when you were executed. That means that they're, the tea lady's other neighbor is evil. Right. So, so it's like, yeah, you can you can kind of sink your, sink your attack on that person. And if they do die, that tells you that the tea lady's evil. Yeah. It, it, yeah, that's actually extremely powerful because... I'm just trying to digest all that. So if you... Um, it's kind of a specific setup. <laughs> it is It is specific, but uh, if you take advantage of that... Okay, so you die. That means uh, either the neighbor or the tea lady's evil. And then you just pick one of them. And yeah. they're... I would say, I would say always pick the, the other neighbor, not the tea lady themselves. Yeah. Because if they don't die, that's the expected outcome. You can probably trust the tea lady. Yeah. If they do die, but that's already, a huge red flag. <laughs> but you already died. So yeah. that means that... The other, the other person should be evil. Yeah, should and be so, evil. And so it's a safe use of your ability, and the expected yeah. outcome is they don't die, and then you know that you can trust the tea lady as well. Mm-hmm. Or at least you get a sign, because their ability wouldn't be working, like because they have well, an evil neighbor. I mean, here's the thing, right? If if that tea lady is the DA, they're both evil. And if so, they're both evil, yeah. <laughs> and that would be a good reason to bluff as the... Um, 
you know, you're, there's already a chance that the DA would be bluffing T-Lady as well. So there's that. But it's definitely, a, you're getting a lot of information to go with, like, uh, the down the kind of worlds in which case well, it backfires are pretty niche yeah in, in the in the case where it is like the da protecting their other evil neighbor the fact that you died and then you chose the other neighbor you know for sure that that person is evil uh unless you were like drunk but like they shouldn't have anything protecting them so you choosing them they should die if they were good and when they don't let's say if you want to be extra careful, you could just be quiet the next day. Say, or like, or no, I guess you have to publicly choose. But like, if you then execute them the next day and they survive, you now know that it's a DA-like situation. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't necessarily tell you anything about the tea lady, whether they are the DA themselves or if they're just a DA somewhere else protecting them. But like, I feel like in that situation where they execute you and then they execute their other neighbor, that's because if they're an evil pair they're trying to frame you versus the other person. But now you can know for sure that that other person was DA protected. So that it still really narrows the world. Um, yeah. I but then there's the side of what if, what if town decides that you're evil and you're bluffing me, well, Chad? So. Yeah. If they do, the thing is, I also think that outsiders in BMR are easy to trust um, because they're relatively easy to count. Um, like I was saying, the goon is the one that can be hidden sometimes, but even so goons don't turn evil that often. So, like, goons won't necessarily hide forever. Um, so I, I feel like outsiders are easier to trust in Bad Moon Rising than other additions. Um, so for that reason, I think it's, like, if it's you versus the other tea lady neighbor, and you think that both the tea lady and that neighbor are evil, you versus them, like, I don't know, I feel like you're in a good position there. Because, sure, maybe the town doesn't trust you for now, but, like, eventually they're going to count the outsiders. They're going to be like, we can't explain a world where you actually are evil. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Is Moonchild not a, a good bluff for for the evil team? I mean, maybe we can go through the rest of the characters unless we hit them uh, all. I feel like we can kind of... We can maybe skip over the rest of these. I think we've already touched on a lot of them. Um, okay, yeah. Sure. So let's let's go, let's go. move into bluffing as yeah. the Moonchild. We can also come back to later uh, like how the evil team can take advantage of the Moonchild. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about bluffing as it. Because... Bluffing as it as... Like, yeah, you, either, either team. You're someone else bluffing as the moon child let's go to evil because that's what you were just bringing up is it a good bluff for the evil team um so obviously um you die and nothing's gonna happen right right (laughs) yeah yeah. so um and that's gonna incriminate someone um so it's it seems like it's a solid bluff if um you just have to be careful with the other outsiders right because like you said outsider count can be easy to figure out and an opportunity and you have two opportunities to do this actually because of the lunatic and goon coordinating with a goon um as the evil team you know like it, that's one way that you could yeah. try and get a mo- bluff as a moon child and have them confirmed but obviously you take the gamble of um the alignment of the goon if you have an assassin to just kill the goon and permanently turn them evil but that's an expensive play but at the same time getting a getting um an extra vote you know, and yeah, and a quiet outsider. <laughs> and a quiet outsider is is extremely powerful itself. And you know, the lunatic I think is another one that you can. That one's a little bit harder, right? Because you have to. That one requires upkeep. Yeah. <laughs> keep your um, lunatic water to have the. <laughs> um, that Partial they're not shame. an outsider. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In order to like fit in as a moon child bluff, you need that. You need to somehow get that minus one outsider. There is like or apparent outsider. You could, of course, also just have the minus one outsider from the Godfather. Yeah. Uh, hardly, hardly anyone ever uses this mode. 
for good reason, because it typically can hurt the evil team rather than help. But when it is used, that is the storyteller telling you, hey, jump on an outsider bluff, it's going to work. Uh, so yeah, that's that's a good time for a Moonchild bluff. It, it, that could be a time to bluff Moonchild and as the demon say like, hey, I'm the Moonchild. I don't want to die. Like the outsider count lines up so you can trust me. And if I get killed, it's going to cause us to lose even faster. So that could be a time when you could survive the whole game with a Moonchild bluff. Um, if you're bluffing Moonchild and it's like adding an extra to the outsider count, I feel like that's a better minion bluff, especially because then you can get killed and then directly accuse someone else, basically. Uh, I love minion bluffs that accuse other players really strongly. Like anything where it's like, I have info that points to you being evil. And then everyone's going to be like, okay, well then one of you at least must be evil. Yeah. <laughs> and then they'll execute both. And I love doing that as a minion. I think that's such a good way of wasting the town's time. And yeah, just overall is very valuable. So I, I think Moonchild works great in that circumstance. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Um, obviously riskier to bluff it as the uh, demon. But um, one of the one of the things I've always enjoyed playing as a minion is the fact that you don't really bear the weight of staying alive. Yeah. <laughs> Which means you can... Uh, I mean, playing Baron is probably one of the most relaxing things you can do. <laughs> in, Super chill. For example. Because <laughs> um, all you can just weave chaos, you die whenever, you waste the town's time. Um, and unfortunately with the, um, you know, with the minions in play here, they generally have important roles to play. DA and Assassin, I think you obviously want to stay alive. Godfather, that's that's a great opportunity to bluff Moonshot, as you said. Mastermind, what are your thoughts? Mastermind's a little bit weird because I feel like as Mastermind, a lot of the time what you want to do is give the good team a reason to execute somebody after they killed the demon. <laughs> and Moonchild, I don't think, really helps with that um, particularly. So I, I, I wouldn't say it's a bad bluff, but I, I don't I don't see any kind of particular synergy there. One other consideration in terms of like whether or not the town's going to want to kill the Moonchild, and therefore how good it is as like a demon bluff, is the size of the game. Like in a 15-player game, if only 3 out of 15 players are surviving until the end, the expectation is that the Moonchild will die at some point, so people are going to want to try to maximize the advantage they can get from that, and want to possibly just execute you and then like, you know, use that to test someone else. Right, yeah. In like an 8-player game, there's only going to be a couple executions during the day. So I think you're a lot more likely to just kind of coast by, especially if it's like there's one more outsider than there should be. So that means there's a godfather. So if you kill me, I'm going to add a death. The godfather's going to add a death. And that's like basically wasting a whole day-night cycle. Then I think you can really kind of hold that above people and be like, don't execute me or we're more or less just going to lose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. I wanted to re return a little bit to... Uh than our non-bluffing section because I, I just remembered why I had evil players in that section because um, what happens when you get chosen as an evil player from a Moonchild, how do you play against that? And obviously, uh, uh, just to get started, a simple one, the assassin can decide, do I want to self-assassinate? You know, how, is the information I've been giving out so valuable that it would be really helpful to kill myself? Yeah, I think that um, the... I think this is, yeah, why don't we just move into this kind of as its own section? I don't know that there's that much more to touch on in terms of bluffing. So let's move on to this as it's like its own section of like using the Moonchild as the evil team, whether you've yeah. been chosen or like deciding when to kill them. So yeah, absolutely. Like Assassin, if you get chosen by the Moonchild, in general, and this is just kind of my play style with the Assassin, I like playing it as a fairly expendable character. It's like, I'm going to get my kill. 
I'm going to get myself killed for info. Um, because I feel like, at least in our group and uh, in other groups I've played with, people aren't usually expecting minions to super aggressively like they no one expects a minion to die at night in bad moon rising because there's just no reason to like there's no mechanical incentive to and i almost feel like that makes it more powerful to do so because no one's expecting it so like i love being the assassin and bluffing something really strong that has implicating information on someone else and then killing myself or just having the demon kill me at some point after i've killed someone else Mm -hmm. um because yeah like i like i said it's just no one's gonna expect it and if the Moonchild is giving me this opportunity to make myself look good while doing that, uh, I typically will want to press that advantage. Right. Uh, it depends on what I've been bluffing before. If I've been bluffing something that isn't going to strongly direct kills, like if I was, I don't know, bluffing Pacifist or something, um, that's not going to have a strong influence on the future of the game. And in that case, I might rather stay alive so that I can draw the fire over someone else, over the demon. Um, so like that's kind of the trade-off you're making is, do does the narrative you're pushing, is it strong enough that it will draw fire away from the demon more effectively than you being alive and being suspicious will. Right. And and that's usually what it's going to come down to is because staying alive as a minion is not really that important as is protecting your demon. So I guess the other consideration is can you get an evil like majority? <laughs> can, right. Yeah. Because yeah, if you have three out of five evil players, uh, most likely then the good team's going to have like one chance to kill or maybe even zero. Like you could just, you know. The more evil players you have alive, the more you can influence the executions because people are reticent to use their death, to use their dead votes. Right. Uh, So it's, you know, obviously there's closing out the game early, which is, um, you know, high risk, high reward play for the assassin. That's always there Um, because usually you want to, you know, if you kill early just to, you know, accelerate the end of the game, it's not as powerful because, you know, you're not kind of rushing it unexpectedly. They're going to be the good team's going to be like, oh, our count is this much. Let's let's reconfigure how we want to do our executions rather than, you know, on the last day, you just end it early. Right. So there's the difference there. Um, But I wanted to actually uh, talk about was the fact that, like we said before, as a minion, your main goal is not necessarily to stay alive. It's just to keep the demon alive. Yeah. And so when it comes to targeting good players uh, as the assassin, you you could snipe. you know, unless you're sniping a very powerful role, then yeah, I agree. Um, killing yourself just to try and confirm your information away from the demon is a great, great way to play. Because again, at the end of the day, the good team's going to get a shot at killing someone no matter what. It's unlikely that they're going to be mechanically unable to get that final shot. Um, but of course, you, you could also consider to yourself how likely is it that we're going to have um, enough evil players and enough worlds that we can safely keep stay alive you know yeah there's a lot to consider if you're going to kill yourself as a minion but it's it's underrated for sure yeah i mean there's also the question of like like the godfather will also have this opportunity so godfather and assassin are kind of in the same boat um godfather you can also consider like how many other outsiders are there am i going to get am i going to get more uses of my ability uh yeah things like that can also factor into your decision as the godfather and with the Godfather, it's especially powerful, right? Because, you know, if you're talking about uh, an assassin kill versus a Godfather kill, assassin has a, strong, has a stronger kill ability, so is the Godfather. Not only do you get, um, not only do you just start off with information about outsiders in general, um, you can just, and, you know, I don't know 
what on average how many kills a godfather gets yeah but just not, using not as much as the assassin i'd say <laughs> right so getting the opportunity to just kill yourself to just get information like that is incredibly good and if you have you know an assassin as the other minion they don't have to um they don't have to deal with that or waste waste their kill although i suppose stronger. another consideration for the godfather is if you stay alive and you're already in a somewhat trusted position that can make that out that that a uh, moonchild who was executed if they were executed that can make them look really suspicious mm-hmm. um, because they're making it so that the outsider count is one higher than it should be mm. if you if you don't die and it calls them into question that can be helpful for making people believe that like there's another powerful minion in play because like yeah if people can confirm there's a godfather you're losing a lot of ability to you know like make them think there's a devil's advocate in play and they have to question these people surviving execution right um, so yeah. i feel like there actually might be a case to be made that the godfather should be happier to either like sink a kill or at the very least not kill themselves in that sort of situation because if you can stray away from the godfather world you can yeah. incriminate the moonchild um and possibly have mess town up. Waste. <laughs> mess, up, mess up the minion info <laughs> you mess up the minion info which could leave town double tapping yeah which is waste wasted executions yeah that's that's really powerful as well um what about the other big consideration as the evil team which is do you kill the moon child or not at night because yeah we've been saying we've been saying it's it adds confirmation but like clearly it is an outsider ability because if they're going to kill anyone they're going to kill a good player and like that is beneficial to the evil team but it's like, how high of a priority should a Moonchild be, do you think? Off the top of my head, I'm thinking, well, you want to accelerate faster at the end than early. Good team has less time to react. Maybe better to keep the Moonchild alive. I mean, this is just off the top of my head. Yeah, oh, keep, I think that makes a lot of sense. Like, keep them alive until there is, until you're, I mean, that way, the good team has less time to react and strategize around the Moonchild. Um, the Moonchild can get become suspicious that way. And then at the end, you can accelerate the end of the game um, a day earlier and possibly prevent. Um, here's a big one is um, preventing the good team from, um, you know, a lot of the times the game ends with you have like um, maybe three demon candidates and two executions left. And then the game has reached that point where the entire good team is strategized around this idea that, OK, we have our worlds that we've built over time and it's come down to these three people and we have two shots taking away one of those shots and bring it down to one execution later on you you've had the good team has a hard time you know making that decision whereas if the moonchild dies earlier on before you have candidates before you have worlds there's a lot less they're losing in terms of um how valuable their executions are uh, that make, yeah, I think that it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier with like you're trying to maximize the probability of success as the good team. And so if it's like we have three target, three candidates, two executions, we choose the first execution to give us information about the second one, right? Mm-hmm. That's often how it's done. If you're suddenly putting them in a position where they can't do that and they only have one, it's not that you're going from like a two and three shot to a one and three shot for the good team. It's It can be stronger than that. Because they might have been planning that first execution as something that will influence the second one. And now you're eliminating that possibility. Yeah. So yeah, that that the later you can get extra kills, I think the better. Which is the whole reason that like like a Poe like kind of pretending to be a single kill demon and then eventually surprising everyone with a triple kill. That can be a really effective strategy for the same reason, which is 
Until then, nobody knows that they need a plan for a Poe world. It might be a little bit in the back of their mind, but it's not foremost in anyone's mind. And when you suddenly spring that on them, the people might have made plans that were like, oh, this is optimal if we have three executions. But it's like, if we only have two, there's a different path that's optimal. And yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, this is like, because um, a lot of just like, this is just in general for player versus player games, is the ability to react and react effectively is really strong, right? These are like basic archetypes in, in games of all of all kinds. And one of the strongest ways to play against other players is, people probably hear this term a lot, bursting, right? It's extremely powerful against players, other players, because you're taking away their ability to react. And that's what you're kind of doing here. The way I think about it, um, kind of you know having a late assassin kill or late accelerant kills that good players can't prepare for you're taking away their ability to react ending the game early at best case and worst case and then even in the worst case you're taking away their ability to execute the plan that they had created for optimal yeah, play they have to come up with a new one right they have to come up with a new one and they have less tools to do so rather than early on and this is just reading what you're saying but the what I wanted to kind of touch on is this this general principle of bursting yeah. and taking away the ability to react is in, is really powerful. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And obviously, um, the the easy out an evil player could take was just claiming the fool. Right yeah, that makes that. sense. Just, yeah, uh, if that that can you might have a little bit of trouble getting away with that because like typically the moon child is allowed to like discuss with the group a little bit about who they should choose right mm-hmm. and if they're talking about choosing you it would most likely like a fool would be like okay you could do that but i'm the fool so like keep that in mind uh, yeah i'll come out later like i'm gonna choose this person oh well i'm the fool yeah it's, it's obviously gonna be very suspicious yeah, but if the moon child comes out and like they have a plan and they're they just like they they know they're gonna choose you and they don't need any discussion from the group and they're just like okay hey I died I'm the moon child I choose Armand if that happens then yeah that's a great time to be like oh well great I'm the fool so we're not gonna learn yeah. anything <laughs> yeah and I think the the only way you get a I mean this just goes in general with bluffing as the with the evil team is the earlier you can get your bluffs the better so you can strategize so if the evil team can strategize around a full bluff early on. Um, that's always going to be to their advantage because people are much more likely to believe a fool if um, they come out earlier. But then, then the Moonchild is probably just not going to pick a fool, which yeah, which would be good for the evil team as well. So, um, so let's talk about running the Moonchild as the storyteller. Section three here. Mechanically, I don't think there's much you need to handle here. Like if everything's running as intended, you just have to evaluate things as they go. I guess the only thing to remember is you know run the Moonchild at its spot in the night order. Not at just like the start of night or anything. That's the only like mechanical thing that I think you really have to keep in mind as the storyteller. But there is a social thing, which is a bit harder, which is if the moon child forgets to choose someone. Similar to the butler, your main recourse, well, it's a little bit harder with the moon child because the moon child typically has a bigger effect on the game than the butler. And it's not like, and they only get to use it once, whereas butler, like you can tell them after the first time and hopefully they'll correct it for the future. Um, but the moon child, if they forget, uh, it can be just a little bit awkward. And honestly, I don't have great advice. Uh, the main thing I would do is just like have a policy in place that like if they don't choose, I'm just going to make an arbitrary choice for you. Mm, that's, that's that's confirming. Well, no, I, I'm not saying like make an arbitrary choice during the day, but it's like if you're the moon child and you forget to make your choice, I at night will just choose to kill somebody or not. However, I feel like it. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, that's not a great solution right. because it's just giving the storyteller like, at that point, the rules of the game have been broken. 
the game's already in an invalid state. It's your job to salvage it. And that's a reasonable enough solution. Um, it's not perfect, but I don't know if there's a better one. I guess the other thing is you could have them choose the next day. If they're like, oh, I forgot I'm the moon child. You can be like, hey, uh, if you would like, I could have you choose now. And if you were the moon child, I would run the effect tonight. Yeah. Again, not a perfect solution by any means. Uh, the, the, what I'm getting at is there isn't a perfect solution. So just play it the best you can. One thing I will say is you were talking about confirming uh, the moon child. If somebody has been publicly claiming the moon child and then they die, I think it's totally okay to say, hey, you've been publicly claiming the moon child. Would you like to make a choice if they don't mm -hmm. do it on their own? Right. Um, and I've done that for Klutz recently. I've done that in the past for moon child. It's when, they're, when they haven't been publicly claiming it and they forget, that's when you're in the really awkward situation. Because with the public claiming thing, like you can also do that for an evil player. Right, um, yeah. And you probably should if an evil player has been claiming Moonchild and then they forget to say anything. Uh, it's probably a good idea to be like, hey, uh, you've been claiming the Moonchild. Would you like to make a choice? Um, mm -hmm. And so since that's something you would do for either team, that doesn't confirm anything. And that's like that's the cleanest way to get out of the situation. But if they haven't been claiming it, it's just... Yeah, I don't know. Do you have any any other ideas on what to do? Because I, I honestly yeah. don't. <laughs> I mean, just considering what you said, um, those characters are the are the really delicate ones where you you want to obviously want to keep the make sure the player is informed on how to play it, so you don't end up with those situations. Yeah. But I mean, you said it beautifully. You're just trying to the game's in an invalid state, and you're left trying to salvage it. That was really well put. Yeah, if you absolutely need to, you could like run a fiddler or something, I guess, yeah. and just end the game early. Um, usually I don't think that would ruin the game that much in this case. It would just like, at worst, like a little bit confirms a good player. Yeah. I would say that because I saw this be done in a, in a, uh, online game from, from the YouTube channel where I thought it was like the, one of the best ways you could do it. And this was one way you mentioned is having, you know, telling the moon child at night, Hey, do you want to just say you forgot and come out? And I think that, I think the important thing is just to have consistency with it and, in terms of doing that for both people who are bluffing Moonchild and um, actually people who are the Moonchild, the point you made about if someone's publicly claiming Moonchild and you know saying you've been publicly claiming it, would you like to make the decision? This it not only fixes it, it does your best to fix it there, but it sets a precedent for how you run Moonchild in the future. And it allows, um, it allows people to just, allows the, um, players to believe you when not sorry um not believe you um but um not be able to get information out yeah. of of the storyteller when they ask that question because they know you're doing it because you've been publicly claiming it but of course um if you're hidden i guess that's one of the more difficult things because all of a sudden if the players expect you to only do that for publicly claiming moon child yeah then um, a hidden moon child doing that's going to be a pretty big indication yeah basically you should never you should make it as clear as you can that like you are not required to do this mechanically yeah. it's like yeah it's just like it's a reminder you've been f claiming this you forgot it i don't have to ask you this <laughs> like yeah. and that might be the sort of thing also where like if, if someone forgets just go over it with the whole group after the game uh especially if it had an impact on the game that'll help people to remember it i think because nobody likes when a game is invalidated like that so um the other thing you can do is uh if it's a new player like if it's an experienced player who forgets this it's a little bit awkward because like you don't expect it <laughs> you know you're not planning around it um but when it's a new player i often take new players aside at the start of the game and just like talk to them anyway uh, and so if i'm talking to a moon child at the start of the game i'll be like hey don't forget <laughs> yeah. Yeah. um and that can often be enough yeah like you said um 
with any with any game game breaking situation, it's hard to fix. But I think in the big picture of things, um, better that it happens early so that you know everyone can learn from it. Um, people are going to play many games. Yeah, I mean, in also, their lifetime. It's not a <laughs> your first game of Bad Moon Rising. There's going to be so many mistakes. I guarantee yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, I guess the other storyteller consideration is that the Moonchild can be kind of a strong outsider in terms of like it helps the good team more than most outsiders do. It's just something to keep in mind. Like most outsiders have some effect that is like undeniably negative. <laughs> Moonchild is like sometimes you can turn it into a very big upside that solves the game. Um, yeah. You are in a sense. Here's um, the big thing about the confirmation being possibly, you know, contaminated. The evil team is going to have to expend one of their own for that by one of their own abilities. And that's extremely expensive. I mean, the information, you know, again, selling information to the good team is also extremely valuable. That's the thing. But again, your confirmation for it not to be there, the evil team is going to be is going to come at a high price on mm -hmm. their side. But at the same time, they could be getting a lot of value out of the information they sell. So I, I don't know. I feel like it's a little bit in between. It just depends on how it's played because it could be generally good for the good team unless the evil team knows how to play around yeah. it and can figure out how to weigh the relevance of the information of that player. It's also kind of like it's one of the only things in BMR that tells you directly about alignment. Um, I guess you got like tea lady, but players especially in new groups are really scrounging for information uh it's not clear where it comes from to a new player and the moon child is relatively straightforward compared to a lot of the other information sources and so while an experienced group might be using these other sources really well and so the moon child's a really minor part of that and the death might like cost them more than it helps them with a new group who doesn't know how to use these other pieces of information as well that one piece of very or like you know, that one piece of understandable information might help them more than it should. I guess, the, so the, on, the only thing I, I um, like to do with it is I include it more often with the Godfather than other outsiders, I think. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, Godfather's adding extra outsiders, so, you know, you kind of have a lot of them around anyway. But uh, I really like the Moonchild with the Godfather because that makes it so that if the good team wants to execute them for information, they're it's going to cost two kills, not just one. <laughs> um so it's like, that makes it a little bit more saint-like almost, and also kind of helps support bluffs of it in the future, where it's like, oh, executing me is going to be really costly, so don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, it, it really is interesting, because there's there's a huge spectrum on how um, the Moonchild can be both good or bad for the good team. And I think with, with some strategizing, the Moonchild does really live up to being an outsider, but that's with, it does require, it's not simply you're in there and the evil team's immediately at a better advantage. I think it does need some strategy because if you pick an evil player, they have to make, they just have to decide what to do. And yeah. if they make the wrong decision, it could be really bad. Being able to sell information to the good team is a really underrated in my opinion and extremely powerful as well. And I think um, once you weigh that in, um, the Moonchild really does earn its place as an outsider, but I think it does require extra effort from yeah. the evil team. I think I agree. Uh, like I've seen people discussing it and saying, like, oh, it's not outsidery enough. And it's like, I agree that it's stronger than most outsiders, but it definitely still fits an outsider slot, I think. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. All right. I think that about brings us to the end of the show. 
Uh, thank you very much for being on the episode, Armand. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, enjoyed the conversation. It's really nice to record one of these in person and like be able to respond to verbal or like visual cues from you, not just verbal cues. <laughs> like I yeah. can nod at you instead of just being like, uh huh, and then having to cut that out later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've been, I've, uh, I've had my face mostly in, in my notes trying to um, keep up with the pace of the convo, but yeah. <laughs> Uh, it was great. Uh, thank you for listening, everyone. You can hear episodes every other week. Um, and yeah, until then, I'll be back in two weeks. I already said that <laughs> with another special guest uh, talking about another character. So until then, talk to you later. Bye, everyone. <laughs> Have a great day. Mm-hmm.